You are listening to Asian Skycast, the show that brings you the most updated aviation industry insight. Welcome to day three of uh, Asian Sky Group's Virtual Charter Week. Uh, I'm Jeff Lowe, Managing Director of Asian Sky Group, here with Daniel. Hello, I'm Daniel. I'm the Charter Services Manager in the Asian Sky Group. Yeah, we're here for the, the Q&A session. Uh, some questions we received uh, when you had the chance to register for the event, and some we've seen since the report uh, went online. It's available now on our on our website, www.asianskymedia.com. It's been uh, out a day or two now. So some questions have come since then, but as I said, some were, were when you pre-registered. Got a whole bunch of questions. It's going, to keep us, it's going to keep us busy for the next uh, half yeah. an hour for sure. But uh, just to sort of clear the decks a little bit, uh, a lot of the questions were related to market size, uh, related to the current state of the charter industry, uh, impacts of COVID-19. And these are a lot of the, the uh, pre-registration questions. And so all those topics we're not going to touch on because they're in the charter report. Um also, when it comes to some special sections, we've got a big special uh, section on flight activities. So some questions regarding uh, charter flight levels, but that's addressed in the report. Also, illegal charter, that's addressed in the report. Uh, we've got a special section in the report also from Bermuda on, uh, on registration and offshore registrations. So that's in the report. Uh we also have occurring uh, later a panel discussion, and that panel discussion will include VistaJet, OJETS, and the Hong Kong BAC. So again, some of the questions that you've posed regarding FBOs and what charter operators are doing in the region, I encourage you to, if you will, tune into that panel discussion because it will answer all those questions for you. Great, great panel session that we had, a great interaction with all the members. So when you kind of go through all those and take them out of the list, and we had a great response, and so thank you everyone for who submitted the questions. Uh, we are left with certainly enough that we'll fill the half hour, and I'm sure uh, will lead to quite an interesting discussion between you and I. Uh, but first of all, Daniel, maybe a yes. little bit of your background, just tell us about yourself. Sure, I have been uh, working in the aviation industry uh, for. Uh, nine years for now over there and then previously i work in the commercial airlines uh, mm. as a, a PERSA and then i work in a local company in hong kong and i also worked worked in a european company and i uh, had an extensive experience uh, with uh, direct customer service and i know what the passengers want i know how to uh, serve uh, my clients and especially those kind of soft soft skills yeah. which make me now and uh and I have been in a business aviation industry for uh, almost two years now, mm. and it's uh, so far so good. Okay, okay. Uh, it's, I would imagine, somewhat of an exciting career. A lot of work, it though. Is. A lot of work, it though. Is. Uh, and certainly, the we work heard, you're giving me. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> no. We we from the panel discussion we had, we sort of they sort of touched on it all, and yeah. that uh, given the current environment, the the amount of groundwork you have to do just for a simple charter quote, or even to you know get that charter quote confirmed, is it is. is abnormal at this point in time. Given yeah, all the especially travel the uh, COVID nineteen is making everybody's mm -hmm. very uh, busy and also very hard to do a charter flight. So one of the reasons why a client. Or a customer would use someone like yourself is because mm -hmm. you you know your way around yes. all these. Yes. 
So when that's they, where you put the value. That's where yeah. the value comes so from. So when they give me a call and for certain uh, destination, I can already tell them what kind of requirement they are expecting uh, to encounter, what kind of problems they are expecting to encounter. If if that flight is feasible and all those kind of things, so you kind of need right. an experienced yeah. professional yeah. to deal with this kind of situation. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So sort of on that theme, we're yep. going to we're going to start working our way down through the questions. Uh, first question that we have is I think there's a perception or I guess there's a question relating to how easy is it to access China, particularly when I'm coming from the U.S. and Europe. And maybe the way to answer that is because uh, I'm not sure if he's referring in today's environment of COVID-19 or the question is just relating to under normal circumstances. Mm. So maybe it's a two-pronged question. Okay. In general, yeah. as a broker, I would probably as a Look at the the um, flight route. If the route is flying over uh, to a certain country, for example, if you're flying from Europe and search, uh, most likely you will fly over Russian airspace yes. or the other routes uh, through Middle East, which will be longer. And uh, Russian airspace, uh, it typically uh, takes some time. Mm. And as uh, their authority, uh, just need to take some. When you say time. take some time, mm -hmm. get all the approvals and everything yes, else. Yes, the permits so, and, and everything. Yeah. So Overfly is the problem permit. China, or is it just all the countries you have to overfly to get to China? Uh, overfly, I would okay. say. Yeah. All right. All right. Yep. And uh, and that obviously is is even exasperated more in current environment because uh -huh. of all the travel restrictions yeah. and COVID nineteen. And uh, from the U.S. and then we can probably say uh, because the. Uh, the long haul aircraft, probably a G six fifty ER, can do uh, can do long stop. Yep. But yep. like if yep. all other aircraft from US, most likely they would right. do like one uh, one yep. stop. So they would be uh, either uh, one st uh, stopping in Alaska or somewhere yep. else, Japan, yep. some Japan, sometimes. Yes. So uh, you also have to sort that out. So that is the part of the uh, things that I would look into. Mm. And uh, the other thing is the uh, airports in China. Mm. Uh, some airports in China. Uh, they are military and uh, civilians yes. airports. Yeah. And uh, so, for example, a non-China B registrations aircraft, they want to fly to those uh, airports is uh, not okay. Or it takes a long time to approve. Mm. Or you really have to have a valid reason why you're not using a China Chinese aircraft. Right. And what are the passengers' profile? And those kind of things. And uh, also, uh, we, because in China or... Um, there's not a lot of a GA airport. So the airport in China is already very congested. Mm -hmm. So some airports, they have their uh, 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 restriction. And uh, when we are talking about that, Beijing, Shanghai, uh, those airports, they have a time limit, mm -hmm. uh, time restriction, a certain uh, time you can land, certain time you cannot land, those kind of things. So is, mm -hmm. is China the worst in Asia? or even I, I don't think it would be... Uh, I think it's okay. opening up. I don't okay. think it's worse. Okay. Yeah. All right. When you look at the clients, yep. um, another question here, uh, are they typically corporate clients or are they private individuals? I think- What's the uh, trend at the moment and maybe uh, what do you see six, 12 months from now? So, I would or say- Or in the future. I so. would say APAC area uh, for now, uh, most likely is ultra high net worth individuals. They are the dominant. Mm. Of course, we see sometimes we see some corporates fly, uh, but most likely they are US-based uh, company or European-based right. company okay. hiring 
for their employee when they are doing like a business trip in right. in, in Asia. Right. But when we when we are talking about in APAC region for APAC company, they uh, are they a corporate dominant? I don't think so. Right. I think it's still for the rich people for that kind of niche people that okay. they are. You think that's going to change? Uh, I think it's a learning curve. I mean, okay. Yeah. yeah I, I, I likewise curve. agree. I think yeah. over t- over time it has to as well. Mm-hmm. We're counting on that. Yeah. Uh, because I think uh, the growth at the end of the day has to come from the corporate side as well. It is. It does. Yeah. So another question. Uh, actually, this is one about um, whether there are any apps. Uh, you know, iPhone apps mm-hmm. and so on. And again, I'm just going to say, oh, there's another section in the report that addresses that. So I, I drive you back to the report. Uh, there's a question here regarding, are there any Asian bodies lobbying for special treatment of private aviation and, and charter in the region? Uh, I think you're the expert. Yes, yes. Uh, that, that the, one comes back to yeah. me. And, uh, okay, So it was kind of a leading question there. Uh, it comes back to me, and obviously we do. Uh, in the region, we have ASBA, uh, the Asian Pacific Business Aviation Association. So really, it's, it is their mandate to take on these issues and, and promote them with all the regulatory authorities throughout the region. Uh, there's the main body, uh, ASBA itself, but then it also has a number of regional chapters around the region. And again, their mandate is to... Because again, Asia is made up of a large number of countries, all with different regulations, jurisdictions, registrations, and so on and so forth. So it's almost each one has to be tackled individually, unfortunately. So we have regional chapters as well. And their mandate is then is to hopefully work with the local authorities and do what they can to make sure that business aviation gets the visibility that it needs. And if there are regulations that need to be changed Mm. or issues that need to be raised, make sure they get to the right levels. So it's an ongoing process. Uh, It's something that's not going to happen overnight. Jeff, it's going to take it's going to take some lobbying for for a number of number of years. Let me give you a follow follow up question uh, on this regard. Since you're the uh, board of governor, I just wonder uh, what ASBA has done so far to um, uh, for the charter side in business aviation. Any special problems that uh, you guys have uh, voiced out to the government? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily uh, been. Uh, the issues that have been raised have necessarily been to tackle, mm-hmm. been there to for the charter alone. Okay. I think there are bigger, bigger issues that the industry faces uh, that ultimately, if, if they're resolved, it's going to help the charter industry as well. And that comes down to parking, slots, yeah. uh, cabotage rules, these sorts of things, because that affects not only charter, just any user. So I think we're still at that higher level at the moment. I think mm-hmm. we haven't, ASBA hasn't broken it down to where they specifically have a, uh, an agenda that they're pursuing just for charter. There are bigger issues that affect the whole industry, and they're still trying to tackle those, to be honest. So, okay, fair enough. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe a little bit more specific uh, in sure. the market. Look at the market. Uh, it's currently dominated by large aircraft, uh, for it sure. Uh, long range, large cabin aircraft, probably uh, 75% of the market out here. So is there an opportunity, do you feel, for midsize or light jets? Uh, I certainly... Again, looking at the report, the yeah. biggest category that had the highest growth was light jets. Um, now, maybe that's a harbinger of the future. Maybe that's just a one-off. But what do you think for midsize and light jets? What's the future? Well, I think uh, I can first tell you why the reason is uh, for now there's no uh, midsize. Uh, there's not enough midsize or uh, light jet. Uh, the reason is because uh, first, uh, when we are talking about uh, midsize or light, si- light jet, we are talking about uh, 
giving a very cheap price you know at, for the charter mm. but uh in asian market uh, the infrastructure the price are quite expensive yes and uh, probably the uh, if you fly short well, to give people an idea yeah. i mean you've got the mm. aircraft cost yeah and then you have all the third party char charges yeah. and so so what's the relative ratio there to, just to give people an idea i think it's uh my experience is, okay, if your airplane cost is, is 100, well, your third-party costs are at least 100 or more. Like it's as much as it is for the airplane, the yeah. third-party costs, right? So uh, you're doubling it. Yeah, in Asia, yes. Yeah, in, Asia, in Asia, in Asia. In Asia, yes. Yeah, in but Asia. like in U.S. or in Europe, yeah, it's not, not yeah, the case. No, not the case. Yeah. Not the case. So midsize and light jets then? Uh, midsize and light jets, it's just the infrastructure. Uh, the price of the infrastructure is very, uh, ex expensive and uh when it, uh, when we are doing a light jet, it's just uh, a competitive advantage of a light jet or mid-size jet. Go a little bit lower and then the... Uh, the but in my past, the issue mm -hmm. for mid-size and light jets has been, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. a lot of the, the requirements here for charter tend to involve six to eight passengers maybe. They're bigger mm -hmm. groups that wouldn't be handled with a light jet. And also typically... They may have quite a high baggage luggage requirement and so a light jet may not be ideally suited to the typical requirement that an asian charter has because again you mentioned before most of the charters are private aviation so you got individuals going on holiday we've got golf clubs we've got suitcases and everything else and whether all that can fit into a, a lear 75 or something is another question well uh yes it is actually a good uh, question i but i think uh the reason why we're lacking of like a one-person or two-person mm. charter is because this kind of cheaper product does not exist okay. currently. Okay. That's why uh, we uh, don't have uh, a one-person or two-person uh, business jet. Uh, uh, so there is an opportunity off. in the there market. Is there is an opportunity. Okay. Yeah, but uh, right. I think in order... Uh, to seize the opportunity, first we have to lower the cost of the infrastructure, which mm. have to high handle uh, by the uh, higher higher level of the government. Yes, yes. And secondly, I think the regulation amongst all the Asian Asian country um, uh, have to be deregulated in order mm. to do that. Yeah. Because oh, well, that that'll get done by Sunday, right? <laughs> of course, sure. Like tomorrow, it's going to take a while. Yeah. It's going to take a while. <laughs> And partly because for, for a lot of these countries, um, the revenue that you get from, if you will, uh, operations and, and uh, airport services and so on is significant. It's, it's, it's revenue for that yeah. country, and they're not about to necessarily give that up. Let, so, let me uh, say more about uh, the deregulation thing. Okay. Um, when we are talking about light jet or very light jet uh, in APAC region, it's not uh, very happening in uh, China, in East Asia country. But I think it's rather popular uh, in uh, ASEAN country, mm. Thailand, Malaysia, yes. those kind yeah. of things, yeah. because they kind of have a, like a, a mini open sky agreement. That, uh, okay. uh, yeah, and, and then okay. they are uh, opening up for their Ace, uh, ASEAN countries only. And that's why uh, they have uh, quite a few, uh, okay. uh, the uh, largest okay. number of the, uh, the, the uh, light jets over there. <laughs> Uh, next question then, uh, sure. and and again, it's just it, it, it somewhat on the subject you mm -hmm. just mentioned about China and Asian. So it sounds like China needs to do more to open up their market to charter. I think as uh, 
the regulation is more about the regulation. Okay. Yeah. And so then for the next question, which is why is it taking so long? It's the same answer. It's because it's regulation. <laughs> so, yeah. It's I mean, you're talking about CAC changing. Yeah. That, that'll always take a long time. Okay. Okay. Uh, next question then. Uh, do you think uh, looking at the charter market, looking at the charter fleet that we sure. have out the, within the Asia Pacific region, mm -hmm. do you think we're, something's missing? Uh, as, as regards to an aircraft type or an aircraft category that we don't have enough of. And you're in trials and tribulations of sourcing aircraft for charters and everything else. Is there a, gosh, I wish I had one of these in the region and that would just solve all my problems. Do you have that, those kind of moments or not? Yeah, I, I would say uh, a very light jet. Uh, as a very light jet is kind of like non-exists in Asia country. Right in this APAC market. Light jet, there is, but very light jet, no. For example, a CJ2, kind of something and, and like that. that. That was specifically one of the questions. Yeah. What do you see in the market for very light jets? I think... Uh, like, uh, a, like a Honda jet, for instance. Yeah, Honda jet just came up. Yep. And uh, I think it's good for a domestic China, good for ASEAN country. Mm. And uh, I think people... Uh, I, I think as long as the infrastructure cost can be lower, and I think there's a good opportunity that we can seize all those uh, uh, one or two person business chip. Yeah, but maybe if I'm, I'm someone listening to this right now, okay. I'm saying to myself, yeah, but those infrastructure costs aren't going to change. And so I immediately go, well, that's... So that, that means there is no market for the very light jets because I don't see the infrastructure changing. I mean, that's been an issue that's been around in the Asia Pacific region for a long time. And it's, it, I'm not aware of there being any steps taken by any country to significantly reduce their infrastructure costs. Like no big announcement that mm -hmm. Hong Kong airport was lowering its landing fees by 50%. No, I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not happening. It's so, not happening. Yeah. Well, I, that's why we need Aspa to well, jump in. Okay, <laughs> no, good question. But on the other side, on this side, the, the panel discussion yeah. that we had—that you, you, if you tune in and watch the panel discussion—COVID nineteen could change people's perspectives, mm -hmm. and so the expectation is that probably the charter market will recover long before the commercial airliners will. The commercial airline business will recover. In that sense, will there be an impetus for the airports then to look at infrastructure costs and what can be supported by a business jet versus a Cathay Pacific, uh, you know, triple seven three hundred ER? Yeah, there may be an, uh, maybe right. a way, uh, but uh, what I uh, I actually think is uh, the government or uh, some somebody had to do something to let the government realize. If the the cost of infrastructure is high and is actually uh, doing damage to the mm. entire GA business, so you need a champion. Really? Yes, we do. An organization, and from my experience in Hong Kong, you also need an individual, uh, yeah. probably a high-profile business jet user, uh, or maybe a group of them that likewise uh, can petition the government. I think. Is a Asma can do so yeah. much, but it's at the same time, curve. if you had a users group or something that likewise was using mm -hmm. their relationships and their avenues to bring these issues up at a high level, I think likewise that would probably serve the industry well. Mm -hmm. so, okay. Uh, let's see. Next question then. Um, on the other end of the scale, we talked about very light jets, but on the other end of the scale, you've got 
BBJs and ACJs, and if you will, mm. uh, corporate airliners, if you want to call them. Uh, what do you think about that market and its future uh, needs in the market? I think it was. Do you get a lot of requirements for them, or you know, uh, not? Uh, I mean, not significantly high, but you know, mm. uh, it's always so constant, and it's always um, we know who who are the. Uh, who are the uh, who are the p- person who require this kind of service? Yeah. It's always the only them, right? Yeah, and uh, since we have a lot of large jet in uh, in uh, in Asia Pacific region and a lot of traveler, they tend to use ultra uh, high uh, ultra long haul aircraft yes. uh, yeah. to perform the flight yeah. instead of uh, airliner. Yeah, and uh, as I mentioned, I think uh, a corporate jet is more for the uh, corporate uh, business to do, to use it mm. and for individual uh, one or two person flying long haul do they really need that much of space mm. I doubt that mm. yeah yep. okay okay uh, more specifically you mm. know we talked a bit about China uh, there's a specific question here what do you impressions or Again, future prospects of the Malaysian and Thai market. I think uh, now that... I think both are quite different. Uh, yeah, from my both, experience. Are, uh, both are quite different. Yep. I think uh, because the uh, economy is re- shifting from East Asian country to Southeast Asian country. Yes. Yes. And Thailand and Malaysia, they are Southeast Asian country, of course. Yep. And when we look at it geographically, Thailand is in the center of the Southeast Asian country. Yes. So I think, uh, like a mid-sized aircraft, light jet would be a good opportunity to be put there for charter because they can fly two hours and get to, in, in Thailand especially, mm. because it can fly one or two hours and get to any other uh, ASEAN country. But Thai is fairly, Thailand's a fairly restrictive market. It is. Cabotage. Particularly cabotage, right? Yes. Uh, is it? So, in order to do domestic flights within Thailand, I have to have a Thai registered airplane. Uh, yes. Yes. Are they the only country like that? Uh, no. no. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, some uh, uh, some Asian country they also have that. I think uh, Philippine, uh, okay. they are like that as well. Okay. Yeah, and right. I think in Taiwan, uh, it's the same uh, situation. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, just taking a look at some of the other questions here. Uh, mm-hmm. and- and this is probably the the maybe the best best one to, to end on mm-hmm. uh, because it's kind of the be all and the end all. Can a company survive on charter alone? Uh, well, from my perspective, no. in, the, in the Asia Pacific region, uh, no, because uh, first and, and why not? First thing, uh, I don't see any operator. They solely rely on uh, charter in Asia. I mean, uh, even when we are talking about in the globe, it's just with a jet. Mm. That's what I know. The all the other company they are doing management, but when we're looking at Wisterjet, they have a large f- uh, fleet size, right. seventy three aircraft yeah. available yeah. for charter. And when we're looking at Asia operator, and do they have many aircrafts? I don't think so. So when when they don't have that many of air, uh, many aircrafts, can they have um, can they have a bigger synergy? To generate profit, mm, yes. and I doubt that. But Jeff, I know since you are the consultant in GA, <laughs> so you are probably uh, expert on yeah, this no, as well. I, I've got my, I, I, no, I was interested yeah. to get your view because I obviously have mine as well, uh-huh. and, I, and I think likewise. You know, uh, surviving on charter yeah. alone is a real challenge, and, and partly because uh, you know, from my experience, uh-huh. you, you need to, and it, it gets back to the same 
issue that you mentioned, you need to be able to generate flight hours. And okay. you need, because that's what you're getting paid for. You're getting paid by the hour. So in order to be successful and, and make, and make money in the end of the day, you need to achieve a high utilization. And for me, All that's right. 800 hours, that type of level. Uh, and in order for you to do that in Asia Pacific, it's, it's, it's a tough challenge. Uh, again, going back to the regulatory requirement yeah. you talked about before and taking three, four, five days to get permits, your ability to, you know, do trip per trip per trip. And if you will get high utilization on the aircraft is a big challenge because you may be stuck sitting for three, four days waiting for a permit. And that means those are lost days. You don't get them back. Mm-hmm. So the ability to, you know, the available days are, is much more restricted in the Asia Pacific region, in my impression. And again, uh, I think you touched on it. Uh, the third party costs are, are very high. I know they're just a pass through, but it's just a much more expensive environment to operate as well. Pilots are more expensive. They yeah. expect different kinds of packages than you would get for, you know, a pilot operating in the U.S. environment or a a, a European environment. Mm -hmm. So I think when you look at the whole DOC side of it, again, it's just more expensive as well. So I I think the margins are are much, much tighter. Uh, One of the issues that we talked about in, in the panel as well is illegal charter. So I think it's a bigger issue out here for charter operators that mm-hmm. they have to face. And that and that's lost revenue that you just don't get back if you lose that business to someone who's doing an illegal charter. Yeah. So there's all kinds of obstacles out here. A lot of it doing with the maturity of the market it hasn't come down the learning curve yet. So yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah. From what I see, uh, more than uh, 50% of the operator in APAX region, uh, the charter side of business is not their main income it's just ancillary for them yeah Yeah. so yeah they're just trying to mm -hmm. use the aircraft to help manage the expenses of running the airplane right yeah yeah okay that's right so last then uh and this goes back more uh, just to a general question uh and and your role Mm -hmm. so if i'm if i'm a first-time user looking to charter an aircraft out here in the asia pacific region uh what should I consider? What are the what are the do's and don'ts? What are the traps? Uh, what's the advice that you would give to someone coming out to the Asia Pacific region first and, and and looking to charter an airplane? Yeah, I think uh, the uh, the first time charterer would probably uh, other than other than calling you, of course. Okay, of course, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> but please call me. <laughs> but uh, the thing uh, this is the, where we flash on the screen his phone number. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is. Um, the first time charterer would probably think, uh, do I need a broker to help me to book a flight? I can contact the operator. Mm-hmm. So I think it really comes down to the question that- uh, and, they're, and they're thinking that because in their, in their home market, that's what mm-hmm. they do? Yeah. So like in the US, I wouldn't use a broker. I would just go direct to whoever. And, and, yeah. and uh, I think in the uh, APAC region, uh, the information of the uh, operator is not fully disclosed. Um, mm-hmm. For example, financial status yes. of uh, an operator, yes. their safety record, yes. and that really come down to me to kind of like sort it out for you. Yeah. So I wouldn't suggest a company with a bad financial record to my client because mm-hmm. if my client cancel the flight and want to have a, a partial refund, yeah. yes. no refund for them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, it, uh, and uh, also uh, the, the the fact that um, uh, if you only work with the operator, you can't have the access with the other airplanes in the region. 
And as I said before, uh, the market is not very open in, uh, not very, very transparent in APAC region. Mm. Sometimes you don't know which operator got which aircraft because some of them, they don't advertise it. Mm. Oh. So mm-hmm. obviously, yeah, the brokers don't work for free. There's a cost associated with it. It is. But I think what you're trying to get around to is that that, that added cost is worth it because you're getting great value back from them. Uh, Jeff, uh, you, uh, you just mentioned at the cost. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not the case. It's not always the case because as a broker, because I uh, have larger amount of the deal with the operator, sometimes they give me special discount. So when you book directly with the operator or do book directly with other broker or even mm-hmm. me, I can probably uh, match the price. Right. Okay. So okay. when I can match the price, and then you probably need somebody to help you sort sort out all other things instead of just working with the right. operator because right. the operator they focus on flying the plane right. and off at the right. broker focus on the whole experience. experience. Well, that leads me to back to another question then when we talked about whether or not the charter companies are able to mm-hmm. to be financially viable out here. Yeah, and it gets back to your comment just now, but that it, it's not just about chartering the airplane. I think. I see a lot of the charter or even the brokers out here getting into managing the whole experience for the client. It is. And so there's the potential then not just doing the the aircraft charter, but they're going to need a resort or a hotel. They're going to need cars. They want to maybe have uh, as part of their stay other trip experiences, which may involve maybe chartering another airplane or chartering mm-hmm. a seaplane or chartering a helicopter. So is that a new trend in the industry or it's always been there and that's where the industry's going or what's what are your thoughts i think some of the broker in uh, in in the markets they kind of already transformed themselves mm. like a concierge yeah. yeah yeah but uh if you are a concierge not from the business aviation industry and trying to do business aviation mm. you will fail mm. because you basically just don't have the uh, information uh to tap in this market yeah it would seem the, the hard part is the charter side. So yes, you, you yes. better master that. The yes. other is fairly straightforward. Yes. And I'm not trying to minimize it. But it would uh-huh. seem the, the, the core is being able to do the actual aircraft charter part of it because that's the most challenging. All the other, you can then build on that, right? Uh, and some of them uh, they, uh, uh, do it in the other way. They colla- uh, for example, I would collaborate with a uh, okay. good concierge yep. company yep. and they help me to sort out those hotel and all those transportation and I have good vendor, I give them contacts and we just combine a whole experience for the clients. Yeah. And of course, as a broker myself, I would be informed it. I would be in the center of everything to coordinate. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so getting back then maybe to more of the, uh, uh, the dynamics of the, the charter and the quote and everything itself, mm-hmm. um, what do the brokers do to protect themselves? Uh, are, are brokers just connecting the dots between the client and the, and the charter provider? Or do the brokers take a more active role in, in the transaction? How does that, how does that work? Okay. Uh, there's two types of broker in this right. world. One, okay. 
kitchen broker. That's how we call it. Kitchen broker. Kitchen okay. broker. Kitchen broker. You know what kitchen <laughs> broker okay. is? Right. Kitchen broker is just one individual yep. sitting at home. When they have inquiry, they call the other operator. They give them the operator contract. They just line up everything and get a commission out of it okay. instead of doing any value at the service. Right. Right. And sometimes uh, I would say, I'm sorry if I offend anyone. Those kitchen broker are quite uh, irresponsible. Mm. And uh, which lead to uh, a fail charter. For right. example, the uh, passengers pay for the money. Eventually, the flight couldn't deliver. Mm. It's mainly because of the broker's uh, fault. Mm. Yeah. And uh, a good broker, like Asian Skyward. Managing, managing expectations <laughs> is a big part of the business. It is. It and is. So when you, a lot of times when you talk mm. about a failed charter, I would assume that somewhat relates to expectations not being met and the customer's disappointed. Yeah, so, uh, you really have to have a very fast response because, mm. uh, for, uh, as a broker, you uh, mainly deal with the uh, personal assistant with uh, right. of the boss, right. and the personal assistant uh, is, I think, a good personal assistant, good executive assistant. Uh, they um, they are very detail minded. Mm. Yes. So you sure. have to be even more detail minded, yeah. and in. Uh, in a step I would say that's why she's in that role is because yeah. she is the detailed-minded person. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, the boss, she just, the boss just says, "I want to go here." Yeah. You and she's she has to figure it all out. So. Yeah. Because the boss so. would blame her instead yes. of blame me in the yes. end. Yeah. Yeah. So I interrupted you there. Yeah. So how do how do we how do you do different at Asian Sky Group? Well, uh, I think uh, for me, I I know you're not a kitchen broker, so I know. I, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we don't have a kitchen in here. Yeah, exactly. No kitchen. So, yeah. uh, I think it really uh, come down to for example uh, the product knowledge. You first have to yeah. know your product uh, well. You know the uh, operator well, and also all those regulation mm -hmm. uh, countries by countries. Yeah. And you always to have get constant updates, yeah. and of course you have to update your uh, clients uh, as well. And uh, a personal uh, a personal mind are unable to do that. For, uh, you need to have some uh, help with the IT. So I think in ASG we develop a rather good uh, IT system, our secret weapons. In order, Shh, don't, yeah, don't in, tell don't tell them everything. Okay. In order uh, to handle this kind yeah. of situation, our yeah. database is very strong, and uh, we know all those industrial trends. And of course, we are doing the uh, charter reports. Yeah, yeah, we have everything. Yeah. And uh, so those kind of knowledge uh, can help me to um, deliver a successful flight. Mm. And on on mm -hmm. sort of more uh, more basic needs, certainly uh, I can I can speak to it for mm -hmm. for Asian Sky Group. We also make sure that there you know we ourselves as a broker mm -hmm. carry an insurance policy, and to make sure that in the end uh, uh, the client there there are no if you gaps in any of the insurance coverage that we have because if there's any shortfalls with the operator itself, they're also covered through our insurance policy. Yeah, so, so you're that's, kind of that's double insured. Well, you're yeah. double insured, but uh, we make sure that there's no gaps is the way I like to put it. And also one of the big issues a lot of our clients have when it comes to flying in and out of China or Chinese clients is they do want to pay an RMB. Yeah. And so that's another uh, payment, if you will, um, uh, 
accessibility that we have. So if the client wants to pay an RMB, we can we can handle a local transaction as well in local currency. Yeah, that so, helps a lot of uh, our Chinese clients. Okay. Mm -hmm. So any any last comments you think? Uh, what's What's going to happen post COVID nineteen? Uh, I think the market uh, is as as you can see in the charter report. The market is down. Uh, it is down extremely. Yeah, uh, the curve is pretty much flatlining, flatlining down around mm -hmm. zero. Mm -hmm. um, and so, what do you see happening when and if well, when we when we do pull out of COVID nineteen? What's going to happen? I keep it positive, very positive. Yeah. I think. Um, there would be a huge rebounds mm. uh, right after uh, COVID. And uh, as I said, uh, the uh, ultra high net worth individual are the dominant in these markets. Right. So once the um, COVID-19 yeah, right. uh, is over and uh, they are very hungry to travel, mm. hungry to do their business, they're very hungry to do their leisure trip. And of course, uh, right after COVID-19, and there's kind of still scare a little bit about if I do commercial, would yes. it affect yep. my health? Yep. Uh, would I get COVID? Um, so that's where we come in. Yep. So yep. I think uh, the market, uh, I think the charter business right after COVID-19 would be bounced quickly. Yep. No. Yeah. Fully agree. Fully agree. Mm -hmm. And in the, again, looking back at the, uh, the charter report we put out, we had done a survey and certainly that optimism is reflected in the uh, results from the survey as well, yeah. where 60% of the respondents likewise felt uh, very optimistic about the market. 30% were a little bit unsure, mm -hmm. but uh, I'll, I'll take that 90% any day. So I think sure. you're, you're, you're right on the money when you say we'll be the first ones to recover hopefully on the, on the charter mm -hmm. side from uh, post COVID-19. Anyways, that, that wraps it up for the, for the Q and A. Very much. Uh, thank you very much for all the questions you submitted. Uh, mm -hmm. It was greatly appreciated. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this is just day three, day four. Uh, we've got our panel discussion. Please stay tuned and uh, watch that very informative on the market as well. And then also, uh, we've got a number of podcasts that will be released as well, specific to the charter market. So thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Asian Skycast. Make sure to visit our website, Asian Sky Media, where you can subscribe to the show on your phone or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show.